Hey everybody, it's Quinn, and welcome back to our Good News series. Thank God. Today's episode is a replay of one of our most popular, number 51, What the Hell is CRISPR? Uh, our guest is, was, Professor C. Brandon Ubunyu. Uh, Brandon's an assistant professor at Brown University and one of the coolest dudes we have ever talked to. Uh, Brandon's perspective on data and disease and how evolution and ecology influence them uh, really just blew our minds and is just truly a fantastic, inspiring, fascinating conversation. Of course, uh, being where we are right now, uh, Brandon's specific scientific expertise and his perspective as a black man could not be more timely than it is. So uh, please enjoy this awesome conversation. Uh, what the hell is CRISPR with Professor uh, Brandon Ngbunyu? Thank you. Welcome to Important Not Important. My name is Quinn Emmett. And I'm Brian Colbert Kennedy. And I forgot to bring Teddy to work today. That's true. I forgive you. Uh, yep. This is the podcast where we dive into a specific topic or question affecting everyone on the planet right now or in the next 10 years. Or so. Uh, if it can kill us or turn us into CRISPR robots, we're into it. Our guests are scientists, doctors, engineers, politicians, astronauts. We had a reverend. Mm -hmm. And we work together towards action steps that our listeners can take with their voice, their vote, and their dollar. And uh, Brian, this week's episode is, hey, Brian, are we thinking about CRISPR all wrong? Also, what the hell is CRISPR? <laughs> um, this week's guest is Brandon Obunu. He's an assistant professor in the Department of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology at Brown University. He's an evolutionary systems biologist and uses experimental evolution, mathematical modeling, and computational biology to better understand the underlying causes and consequences of disease across scales, from the biophysics of proteins involved in drug resistance to the social de uh, detriments <laughs> determinants underlying disease. Holy shit. In doing so, he aims to develop theories that uh, enrich it, that enrich our understanding of the evolutionary and ecological underpinnings of disease while contributing to practical solutions for clinical medicine and public health. I couldn't be happier that I made you read that entire thing. I was almost, I fucked up one word. It, no, it, more or less, it's just preposterous. It's insane, the amount Would of... Would you <sighs> say, and I know we've talked about this yeah, before, and yeah. it, it's, it's weird and it's creepy how much the answer is yes, mm -hmm. that that description more or less matches up with your day-to-day -day responsibilities here at Important Not Important. Exact same. Pretty cool. Like 80%, right? <laughs> you would say that you guys do the same stuff for 80% of the day? Good God. Yeah. Super smart dude. I uh, almost want to say that you're making some of that up, but you're not. That nope. is, that's, that's his description. Where would I get those words? I have no idea. I don't I know don't how know I said those, those words. Yeah, not even close. Love talking to this guy. Um, yeah, just he's awesome. want to go take one of his classes immediately. But uh, I did college, and it was fine, and I barely escaped, so I'm not going to do it again, but I'll, I'll take it. I will just say this. He, I mean, he was just the perfect, like, this is who I want all my teachers to be. Oh, I know. The perfect man to be an educator. So I great. Know. Would that have changed things for you? Everything. <laughs> eh, probably nothing. Nah, probably not. <laughs> all right, awesome. Let's go talk to Brandon. Cool. Our guest today is Professor Brandon Obunu, and uh, I should mention his Twitter handle is, uh, unless I'm... I'm mangling this and it's the wrong person is big data cane uh, you got it and so and good. i i cannot tell you as a big data loving former asthmatic who cherishes tight lyrics in the golden age of rap how many boxes <laughs> uh that checks for me <laughs> so um i'm looking forward to it to me anyways we are going to uh ask together are we thinking about crispr all wrong 
Uh, and we're going to also tell you what CRISPR is because I have a feeling most people don't have any idea what the hell we're talking about, but um, that's the goal today. Brandon, welcome. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. For we, sure, man. We are very happy to have you. Um, quickly, just tell uh, tell our listeners uh, who you are and, and what you do. Great. So um, like you heard a little bit, um, I'm a professor um, in the Department of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology at Brown. Um, and I'm a computational biologist that's interested in what I call diseases across scales. That means everything from the very molecular level, like how do genes and proteins interact in certain disease for, to the societal level, like how do kind of people in cities and the climate and all that influence the way diseases spread. Fascinating. Damn. That feels uh, <laughs> pretty timely with everything that's going on with uh, uh, the fight uh, that, that the Congo is still dealing with, with Ebola and things like that. And all the measles outbreaks all over the world because people refuse to vaccinate their fucking children. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Oh, man. Very Don't even get me started. <laughs> <laughs> that might be a different conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Um, so it's been, I guess, a couple... It's been a little bit since we recorded an episode. As a reminder to everyone, our goal with this whole thing is to uh, provide some uh, quick context for the, the question that we are asking and then dig into some uh, action-oriented questions that get to the, the heart of why uh, we should give a shit about it and what everyone out there can do about it. So if that sounds good, Brandon, let's do that. Let's make it happen. Rock and roll. So Brandon, uh, we like to start with one important question, uh, sort of t- set the tone of things. So instead of saying, uh, tell us your whole life story, we'd like to ask, Brandon, why are you vital to the survival of the species? Well, um, you know, you know, I confess I cheated. And I've, I've heard a few people answer that question. Oh, you- uh, I think, and... <laughs> And, and and most people, you know, they they do it thoughtfully and modestly, and uh-huh. I'm not I'm not gonna be modest. Yeah, you know, I, <laughs> get it. Here I we think. Go. <laughs> nah, I'm just playing. <laughs> now, I, I think uh, I think what what I'll say is, I mean, you know, I you know, I like the stuff that I do, and I think I work on important issues. What what I'll say is less me personally, and just more people like me. I think who are unafraid of kind of walking into new disciplines and fields and being the dummy in the room and asking difficult questions. That's really you know what defines my career. So I think a question like this, and you ask me two, three years from now, I'll have a different answer. Like I'll be working on different problems and different questions. And I think, you know, my interest in gene editing, for example, is a is an example of that. So I think that that's that's what I'd say. Kind of being courageous about entering new fields, asking difficult questions and uh, you know, and moving on that. I love that, man. Yeah. I think being that's a leader. Important. Yeah, yeah. We 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 need more of those for sure. All right, awesome. So we're gonna set up some context for today. So I got some notes here uh, uh, to get everybody on the same page. Uh, Brian can ask some questions. Uh, Brandon, you can tell me all the specific places where I'm wrong. Yeah, you'll probably be um, correct, Quinn. And that'll be great. So uh, what the hell is CRISPR? Uh, stolen from Wired Magazine, one of my favorites. Uh, CRISPR is a quote-unquote revolutionary new class of molecular tools that scientists can use to precisely target and cut any kind of genetic material. It's, it's scissors for DNA. It's, there you go. Thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Um, how new is it? Uh, it's pretty fucking new. Two hardworking genius ladies, uh, Jennifer, I'm going to mangle this, Dudna, Dudna, Brandon, do you know which one? Uh, and Emmanuel Charpentier, uh, published and patented the process in just 2012, which is not a long time ago. Um, and shit, shit has kind of gone off the rails since then, uh, in a good and, and maybe not so great way. So what does it do? CRISPR systems are the fastest and easiest and cheapest method scientists have ever had. Uh, to manipulate the code of life in any organism on Earth, humans included, it is it is scissors. It truly is scissors for the code of life, right? It's it's like search and replace on. Uh, I mean, hopefully you're not using Microsoft Word, but whatever 
whatever. You <laughs> right. Word. So it's exciting, right? It's new. It's also <laughs> terrifying. And it, it's obviously more complicated than it sounds as usual with science, which is great. We're finding out a lot of what we don't know, but what we, what we think we can do with CRISPR, gosh, uh, let's see. Um, everything, the dreams of biohackers uh, <laughs> everywhere, right? We could theoretically eliminate disease at the germline forever uh, in humans or mosquitoes. We can make plants and food more efficient and productive. Uh, we could bring back an extinct species, right? Um, so uh, the better question is, what can we not do with it? We're finding out again what we don't know. And, and again, that's science and that's important um, that there's stumbling blocks and, and, and finding out how the body interacts uh, with itself. So we found out most people uh, could basically be immune to CRISPR or not um, because our DNA, uh, our species DNA specifically, has spent a hell of a lot of time developing ways to defeat intruders or changes to the source code, uh, which is what keeps you alive. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> so I think what we're going to get in today is really is, is we haven't even made up the rules for using this stuff yet. And if you've watched anything with, for instance, the U.S. Congress in the past year trying to just figure out what the fuck Facebook even is, you know, these old white people <laughs> don't know what that is. So getting them to regulate CRISPR is an entirely different issue. So because it's at least in some ways really simple and there's not a ton of rules, uh, there, there's a lot, been a lot of chatter about how to make those rules and a lot of enterprising folks and, and, and future supervillains uh, don't really care as much and are just trying to get out there and doing the damn thing. And obviously there's been some news about that recently Yeah, th that could really change the world one way or another. So, so what I want to get into is, Brandon, maybe you can offer a more concise description or, or an example, a specific example of how it could potentially use what we know about. And then we'll get it to our bigger question of, are we thinking about CRISPR all wrong? Are we asking the right questions at the right time? Yeah, I think uh, I think your summary was, you know, was correct. Even at the detailed level, you got most of it right. I, mean, I think um, shocking. I think it yeah, I think, you know, you, you go back to the 2012 discovery and, and the other discoveries after that. Uh, about how we were able to use it to do these very, you know, very cool and interesting things. But uh, I think it started with a discovery, right, a very basic science discovery in bacteria. And I think that's what makes your CRISPR such an exciting thing. And it has this weird acronym. It's clustered, regularly, interspaced, short palindromic repeats. Who cares? Whatever. <laughs> but the point is, the point is, it's basically a primitive ancient immune system for bacteria against viruses. Right. So this is something that kind of exists in nature already. Right. That mm. we were able to kind of wield for this practical purpose. Right. And I think that's kind of one of the neat things about it is, you know, evolution kind of optimized this thing for a different purpose. And we just kind of co-opted it right? rather than some of the other, you know, genetic modification technologies that we've tried over the last, you know, 20 years or so, which were really a lot more, you know, artificial uh mm -hmm. this one is very very particular and precise because it kind of you know had a very particular and precise function um in a in a highly successful organism like bacteria so what you're saying is this it was less typical with humanity this was less invented and more discovered it was something that already existed and like you said we're learning how to wield it is that correct yeah i mean you know you know <laughs> I'm, I'm not a patent attorney, right? So they wouldn't say that, you know, <laughs> you know, but, um, you know, been, the people, that's been a, big that's part been of a it, debate. Right? That's been a debate. That's been right. the debate. But, but I, I think, I mean, <laughs> what I would say is I think the genius of it was in fact that it was a co-option of something that nature used very intelligently already. Right. So right. that doesn't make it less innovative. That makes it more innovative. So, sure. you know, I, uh, but yeah, yeah, I think that's, that's, I think, and that's kind of why it's been so effective and why the minute it was applied the way it was applied, 
uh, initially, you know, we've been able to kind of use it for all these different uh, reasons. I love that. So for everybody out there, and I guess Brian, uh, I asked Brandon, what's a question about CRISPR that keeps you up at night? And, and Brandon, maybe you can tell the people what you told me and then we'll go from there. Well, um, many things about CRISPR and, you know, genetic modification writ large keep me up at night. I think part of this, you know, has to do with my own ontogeny as a scientist and a thinker. And I think, you know, I'm a, I think we're all influenced by different ideas that were around and, you know, whatever your major was, I'm sure there was a big controversy in your field. And I think mm-hmm. with me, um, you know, I'm a child of, you know, well, I'm a child of the AIDS era. And I'm a child of the genet- the first uh, genomic modification era, uh, which was gene therapy. And I think mm-hmm. gene therapy was a big deal in the end of the 20th and the century in the early 2000s, or mo- more, more in the end of the 20th century, ni- in the 1990s, late 1990s. And that was supposed to transform everything. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> all of the stuff I hear, the confidence right, about how we were able to eradicate genetic disease forever and we're going to... People were saying the exact same things. And I wasn't a kid. I was, you know, I was late in college or applying to graduate school at that, around that time. Mm-hmm. And I saw that movement come and essentially overnight disappear because they were things that people were not considering at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so what happened was in 1999, there was a clinical trial where a patient in a clinical trial was killed in a, in a gene therapy, uh, for, you know, for a, for a disease uh, that the individual had. And I think af- overnight, there was like, whoa, wait a minute. And I think in hindsight, you look at it, and I think the, you know, ethical, you know, uh, review of that clinical trial were like, yeah, there's a lot of things that went wrong, but there were a lot of, more than that particular clinical trial, you look at the the whole field just kind of had blinders, you know, on and, and didn't really right. have tunnel vision and didn't really see the massive kind of potential scientific issues, right? Mm -hmm. And the ethical issues. And I think there are analogies between that era and this era. Uh, And I think we're we're inclined to, we might make some of the same mistakes, I think. Have we we learned anything? Yeah, does it feel like some of those mistakes won't be made this time? Well, uh, so a couple things. So, so you know, I'm not apocalyptic about it, and I think you know. I mean, I, I like, you know, I'm, I like my sci-fi apocalypse stuff Hell as much yeah. as anybody. Sure. You know, we can even talk about that later if you want. But <laughs> yeah, my yeah. point, because I think those things are are actually useful for thinking about right, a lot of these issues. So let me let me let me say something good, the good stuff first, and that is that the science is way better. Okay. Right. I think the I think the gene therapy technology where we deliver genes via a virus. I mean, it was just messy for a lot of reasons. And I think that was the problem is you couldn't really control exactly where you put a mutation or suite of mutations in. And I think there was a lot of kind of, you know, there was a lot of, or you could, but not not as precisely as you can with CRISPR. So the CRISPR is very, very good technology. I try to do this sometimes because I'm a nerd and I read about this shit and obviously you work on it, but could you take a step, you mentioned how precise CRISPR is. Could you just give a specific example of, of, of again, dumbed dumb down for, for right, everyone here, for exactly what you mean by how precise it is and what we can do with it? I mean, there are experiments where, you know, you know, you have, right, the, <laughs> the millions and millions and millions of nucleotides right in the in a in a genome of an organism i mean we can we can exchange you know single you know uh, nucleotides or, or short short kind of sections of a gene we can we can delete very very short sections of a gene of like several nucleotides is that, is that much 
resolution uh, so with this technology. Crazy. So it is very, very, very precise in terms of what it can do uh, at the genotypic level. It's, wow. it's It really is really a remarkable piece of technology. Wow. So it's understandable why there was has been so much excitement and the freight train is moving so fucking fast on this thing. Well, no question. And I think there's a lot of reason to be excited about it. And I think that's kind of part of the concern, right? I mean, I think it can do a lot of wonderful things for a lot of people in the world. And I know, you know, I don't know where you stand, you know, on the GM crop issue. And I think that's Mm -hmm. part of the, this is part of the problem is that, right, the, the issues with genetic modification are different depending on the organism you're talking about, right? For sure. So, so if we can kind of make, you know, if we can make a better, you know, we can make a, a crop that can survive, right? Rough conditions better. You can feed a lot of people, right? Uh, you can actually, you can do a lot of good in this world. Now, again, <laughs> ethics of that and the e- economics of that and how who can patent this and that, that's sure. a different conversation. But at face value, right, growing things is not easy in every part of the world, right? And that but, is actually a know. bottleneck in some places to people being able to, you know, to eat and get, you know, nutrients. And it's getting harder in a lot of, I mean, you look at what's happening right. in India. I mean, farmers are literally killing themselves yeah. by the thousands because they can't grow food anymore. Exactly. Um, exactly. Right. And you have a, you know, so you got a bunch of white people in Santa Monica who say, I don't eat GMO foods and farmers in India are going, please uh, find some way exactly. for us to grow food again. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So on that end, there's a lot of promise. It's funny. I, mean, I don't know if y'all are beer drinkers, but like, I just, you know, I, I read a manuscript yes. where, you know, they're kind of like optimizing the yeast, right, to be able to make better pilsners with CRISPR. Sure, everybody. <laughs> so I mean, wins. on all levels, <laughs> on all levels, this has the potential to do a lot of good. So I think you know, you know that that's that's exciting. I think on the problematic side, right, there are a lot of concerns, even within GM crops. So let's let's put aside the economic stuff about who owns what and patenting and all that, and the corporate interests and all that. At a basic level. Right. There's the scientific issue of right, this is a science question. This is before we gotten into right and wrong. And, you know, mm-hmm. there's a science issue of how do you know that a given mutation or suite of mutations that you put into a genome of an organism that right confers phenotype A in this organism is going to do the same exact thing in all other organisms of its kind, right? So right. I might have I, I might have isolated a mutation that, you know, helps a tomato ripe faster, right? Mm-hmm. But if I take that same mutation and I put it in a, you know, let's just call it a cousin tomato, a, a, mm-hmm. a related tomato, that's not exactly the same. How do I know that that's going to do the exact same thing, right? The answer is you, we don't. They right. are, you know, and I think Jeez. that's a fundamental question of basic science evolutionary genetics that is very, very relevant. We call this, like, they, we call these things with mutations off-target effects. You can mm-hmm. target this one thing here, but you could it could have these other effects throughout the organism and genome, right? Because it, it's hard to know exactly how everything fits together, right? The genome is not just this linear stretch of right, information. These things are interacting with each other, right? So you mutate this one thing, thinking you're going to get this one phenotype, and due to a, 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 this is a force, a process in an evolution we call epistasis, mm-hmm. and who cares? But basically, what that is is it's the it's the interaction between mutations at one site in a genome and kind of mutations at other sites in the genome. And really, this can make it difficult for us to predict very, very carefully 
how if I know that this mutation is really going to make the beer better. It might, and it might do it 70% of the time. The issue is in beer, who cares, right? You get a really good right. beer. I get a lousy beer. Who gives a crap, right? right. But when you're talking about engineering homo sapiens <laughs> babies. Right. Slightly bigger right? deal. It's right. a slightly bigger deal. <laughs> right. All right? of a sudden you got the fucking X-Men, which like for better or worse, you know, is complicated. And and, and you're right. I mean, we haven't even gotten to the uh, uh, ethics part of that, which is like all, all the handicapped folks are going, I understand why you think it's cool to get rid of my handicap, but also I live a whole life and there's a culture based around this. And exactly. why would we want right, to get rid right. around? With Anyways, but you, you talk about the science. I mean, it, it comes back to like, despite all the technology and all the computing power and the machine learning we have and the ability to pick up on patterns and all the genomes we've scanned and, and things like that, even though they're mostly white people, you know, we look at, look at something <laughs> like the microbiome, which feels like every month we're like, wow, we didn't know that. Or wow, <laughs> mm -hmm. we didn't know that. And, and like you said, it would be great if we asked these questions or took some time to think about questions and applied them to a fucking tomato before we even consider doing this with humans. But unfortunately, that's not the way it's gone, has it? No, no. And I think we're finding now, right, like with any big discovery, there's, you know, I think it, um, it the news or the publication record self-selects for, for the good stories, right, mm -hmm, for the successful right. stories. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, and understandably so, right? And I think there was a lot of excitement because it's really done some really, really cool things. Um, but now we're starting to see, we're getting, a, uh, I don't know, there's, there are examples now where, you know, CRISPR is causing, you know, double-stranded breaks. The, 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 the particulars of that don't matter, but it can cause kind of like mutations in other parts of the genome. Um, it can it can cause these kind of unforeseen effects in other parts of the genome, which, you know, and that is legitimately frightening. And I think this mm -hmm. is actually at one part, at one point got the market, you know, when the market responds, right, people are like, that's how you know it's serious. Even right. though the, the, the CRISPR... <laughs> market was like, wait a minute, you know, what's going on with this? So there are these examples that have already happened. And, and, and these are actually starting to come out more and more now. So say, for example, I CRISPR, you know, I want to add this run of this, this set of uh, nucleotides into one gene. I can cause deletions, right, in another gene, like somewhere else in the genome. And that's bad. That's like, really, yes. really bad. That, that feels like an understatement. You know? Yeah, that's right. So, so yeah. That's wow. crazy. And it, it, I mean, we just don't know the, and, and again, all the credit in the world to the people who are working on this and the people who have spent, like you said, the past 20 years working on genomics and things like that and the human genome project and all that. But uh, again, we just haven't made that much progress on it to be able to say like, oh, cool. Now we can cut shit out and replace it with whatever we want. We have no idea how that's going to affect. In most cases, we have no idea how that's going to affect other parts of the genome, which is so complicated. It's interesting because the problems with genetic modification, I think, you know, the, the good news is that a common problem, right, I mentioned earlier of what does what does a given kind of mutation do in an organism? That problem is com It's common throughout the genomic world. It's not just about genetic modification. So, for example, the question of the, the fears of genetic discrimination, right, where. Sure. Right. You have a mutation that gives you a higher prob you know, probability of acquiring, a, you know, schizophrenia at some point. Mm -hmm. The fears that that will kind of lead you right, that, that you'll have a society where that's going to happen. And the, the fears of genetic privacy, these sure. are all based on that same problem. Mm -hmm. We really don't know all that well how to tell for sure how a given mutation or run of mutations in a gene is going to do blank. We, 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 there are very, very few examples 
in the history of medicine or biology where we are really, really sure that this mutation does something. So the classical <laughs> ones we know, we know Tay-Sachs, we know sickle cell anemia, we know these very, mm -hmm. right, right? There's some that are like, you get these mutations, you're going to have X, right, problem. Usually it's disease things that we, sure. we've characterized that way. But sure. for the vast majority, vast, 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 the majority of phenotypes that we care about, it isn't that simple. It's kind of like most kind of traits that we care about, even, you know, morphological ones like height are dozens of different mutations and hundreds of different genes that are interacting in all these kind of messy ways. And so we're, we're dealing with that problem now in, in the basic science of understanding of who we are. Mm -hmm. You take that problem and, the, and the, the genome modification problem kind of has all of those issues in it because we just, we're just not very, very good at being able to disentangle uh, what individual things are doing within a gene. And, and and to me, again, it's so hard not to just barrel right into the ethics questions of this. And, right. and obviously, we're mm -hmm. definitely going to get to Gattaca at some point. But it does seem like, again, as quickly as this train is moving scientifically, and and uh, as much as there's obviously been some <laughs> slightly terrifying recent news about this, uh, about uh, the science actually being executed, it, it does seem like, though, we have learned some lessons in what we should do. It does seem like ethicists are actually getting the chance to chime in on this, as opposed to, for instance, anything coming out of Silicon Valley these days, where the mantra of move fast and break things has truly fucking <laughs> broken everything. So maybe not enough or, or as much as we'd hope, but do you feel like there are, uh, so again, let's, let's stick with the science for just another minute. Are, are there science questions we have answered? Where, where have we made progress since 2012? Well, I mean, so on the science front, yeah, I mean, I think this, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not pessimistic necessarily about this. I mean, in the sense of, or, or rather, I don't know about my future outlook, but my current, I'll think about my current outlook. I feel like, you know, I feel like the science is doing, science is fantastic, you know, in a lot of ways. It's, and I think it has a chance to do a lot of really good and cool things. I mean, even in, in the, in the even just in terms of laboratory tests, I think the science is doing quite well. So I think since, even since 2012, we have kind of new ways to deliver crispr casts. We have, we can kind of, we can, we can do it better. We can do it in more organisms. So I think, you know, we're, we are developing better and better technology around, around CRISPR. So I'm, I'm pretty confident about that. I think, and I think, you know, just generally speaking, like getting into the ethics and, you know, we can, we can talk about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think we are, you know, uh, trying to stay ahead of the science in a way that we once did not. Right. So, right. yeah, I mean, uh, you know, there have been a lot of good conversations. I think, you know, the genetic privacy conversations, which at one point the technology got way out ahead of the, the, the you know, the law. I think the law has kind of caught up in them many ways. And I think I've done, not to say this is not going to be a problem moving forward, but I think the conversations are being had publicly in a way that, you know, uh, you know, uh, for for what it's worth, I'm reasonably satisfied with. <laughs> I mean, here, here's the thing, though. You know, it's like I'm 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 glad we are. I'm glad we've clearly learned some lessons because the it's the fucking Spider-Man quote, right? Which you can attribute to anything. Mm -hmm. with Great power comes great responsibility. And mm -hmm. we as a species don't fucking do well with that very often. Right. From from mm -hmm. from, I mean, nukes uh, backwards and forwards. But. Uh, you look at what has happened, for instance, I mean, look, the, the inevitable, it seems like the inevitable outcome 
is there's going to, and it's the same way with, with the, with the, you know, all these genome projects is we're going to attempt to use them for good. And I'm not trying to be apocalyptic about this either at all. I'm just trying to, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I'm trying to illustrate the the broad spectrum of, of where people should ask questions. And, yep. and it just, I look at what is happening. I guess to be specific, I look at what was, hap- what has happened with data in the past 18 months and you go, Oh, if you apply this to that, then it's actually Gattaca at like maybe at best. Right. And so again, yeah, I just, I, I'm curious, like wh- where are we having the success on the ethical fronts? <laughs> so, so I think it's fascinating the way you kind of articulated that and you know, I'm a huge Spider-Man fan. So, you know, yes. that, that resonates, but I, I think, I think here's the issue, right? I think what all things like, CRISPR, all kind of big breakthroughs, be they technological, be they the algorithmization of everything like you're talking about um, in the in the data mm-hmm. space. I think there's kind of like three things about people, right, that are hard to distinguish. And all three of them kind of went together, cause problems. People, okay. people want to help people, mm-hmm. right? Like, and not everybody wants to help people, but people often want to help people. There are mm-hmm. a lot of people who'd want to do good in this world. And I think there are people who wielded the original right, gene therapy stuff that I told you, right, ended up not working, who really, really wanted to help people. Mm-hmm. I think people want to be famous and people want to be rich. Mm-hmm. And I think those three things, when they get, right, it, it, people aren't good at being able to kind of <laughs> distinguish those things. So I think people who are wielding these technologies in blind, so for example, the, the you know, the recent case in China, right, of the presumptively, we, we still don't know for sure. We, right. Uh, but the first CRISPR baby, w- which had a has a deletion in a gene um, that confers resistance to HIV, if you read the comments from the scientists, he it, he might be full of shit, <laughs> but he sounds like he did something meaningful for someone. Right. Right. Like so, basically, the parent, I, I think the father, but the parent, one of the parents has HIV, is HIV positive. Mm-hmm. Okay, and there's a lot of discrimination, right? In you know, as there is, and in, in stigma against the HIV positive community there, or as individuals from. So the notion is that, oh, I'm going to give, I can have this child that will never have to face that stigma by virtue of them having essentially no chance, right, of getting sure. HIV, which is sure. which is just. It's just kind of weird for a bunch of reasons, but there's a lot of ways to not get HIV, but sure. HIV is not like a cold. You don't just catch a cold. Whatever. The point is, mm-hmm. you know, there is a appeal to, right, emotion there, yeah. you know? And I think the scientists very well might think that he did something right. And, and history right? is like, littered with those people, right? That's right. Who, that's right. Who, who maybe, who are doing it from a, from a sense of, of, of integrity, right? In a sense of being progressive and thinking like, oh my God, look what he can do. Why would we wait to do this right. to help these people? Right? That's right. Um, but then uh, again, I, I mentioned before, you know, there's been these discussions of, uh, of, of, of you talk to, uh, again, the, the handicapped world, uh, which is, which is huge and wide and varied. Um, yep. and, and these people are incredible and they go, oh, you know, let's talk about blindness, for example. Yep. Uh, there, there's a culture and there's a community there and these people are going, so wait, if you if if you cut out blindness or you know all the different degrees of blindness and, and variations on it, you lose that culture too. And someone yep. who just barrels ahead and says, "Oh, look, I've cured blindness blindness in a uh, a couple girls from Iowa or whatever," right. uh, all of a sudden you go, "Well, it's just so complicated." And that's that's the fun and and importance of ethics, right? Um, but I, you know, I 
I also think, and, and this might not be your ballgame memory, maybe it is, uh, you know, we, everyone rips on the Star Wars prequels, right? Uh, <laughs> right? And and uh, there's this there's this yes. great, uh, the whole thing is like a, a Jedi is not supposed to fall in love and, and all this shit. And uh, there's this great quote by Ryan Johnson, the guy who made the last one, The Last Jedi, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where before, like, it was right when he got hired to make it. And, and you know, everybody rips on the uh, on the prequels. And he gave this quote about him saying, Devil's Advocate. The prequels are a seven-hour-long kids movie about how fear of loss turns good people into fascists. And it's really interesting, because it's, mm. you know, Anakin, who turned into Darth Vader, did some mm-hmm. really fucked-up shit in both that mm-hmm. third movie, and then obviously going forward. But but to him, I mean, maybe killing a bunch of kids <laughs> maybe wasn't a little consumed <laughs> by the dark side. But again, people do things out of what they think is a, a good intention, or, mm-hmm. or a protective intention. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, what if a scientist who figures out how to cure blindness has a two-year-old blind daughter, you know, or, right. or what's the further extreme of that? Um, and it, it's just, it's really complicated. And I'm, I'm glad we're having these discussions, but yeah. Yeah. That Chinese scientist doesn't, from all I've read, it you know, doesn't seem to have any ill intention at all. He was just probably super excited about the fact that he could do it. And unfortunately did it without enough, you know, uh, research. Right. As opposed to asking, uh, you know, how do we keep this from causing some t- terrible, just terribly awful shit, possibly? Are there uh, are there innovative new ways uh, to confront the ethical implications and science and the combination of the two? Yep. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, to the Chinese scientists, uh, you know, in particular who who did it. And I think it's a, it's a tr- tremendous kind of biological feat. Right. I think. Right. Uh, but yeah. I think there so there's some actual scientific problems with what was done and, and, and not even ethical. Like so I, we, we think that we think that the embryos are what we call mosaic, which means the d- different cells might have different kind of genetic information in mm-hmm. them, which mm-hmm. is not good so so there's even mm. some scientific it, it, that's that's that, that's kind of, that's one of the reasons why it's unethical because even what was carried out scientifically just looks like it might have been in some way sloppy because that's kind of where the technology is sure um but, but that in terms goes back of kind to just of, basic mm, fertility i mean you know that's you, right. if you're doing in vitro fertilization you, you don't put in mosaics you know they're graded in two that's different right. ways and you put those in it's just like you said it's just sloppy that's right. No, it's, it's very, very sloppy. Um, you know, to the point to, you know, now that we're into the ethical things and, you know, it's part of the conversation, the point you made about um, the, the handicapped community in particular was a very, very profound one, because this is one of the areas and one of the reasons that this technology, right, uh, could cause us serious problems. We need to stop and think about why we want to modify certain things about who we are, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, damn it, you have a right to like a pilsner that's hoppy or whatever. Like, <laughs> and like, there's no no consequences there, right? But again, to say that something needs to be eliminated from the species is to cast a very particular type of judgment about that thing, right? 100%. So, right? So, like, sickle cell anemia sucks. It's awful, right? So is Tay-Sachs. There's certain things that we can kind of all mostly right, all at agree least right. <laughs> agree, right? We, you know, to get rid of, right? But, um, you know, speaking of Gattaca, right? There's a, I don't know if it's an alternative ending or an alternative trailer. I think it's an alternative trailer. You should mm-hmm. watch it sometimes. It's a very beautiful, beautiful trailer. And I've showed it in class. <laughs> and what it does, what it says is, and you, it says, it shows a picture of Albert Einstein and then it says dyslexia. 
and it shows mm-hmm. a picture of like G- Virginia Woolf, and then it says something like manic depression or something. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I forget who it was. Maybe it's Emily Dickinson. I forget who it is. But, but my point is, a famous writer, and then it shows it shows all of these kind of historically, you know, famous people, and it shows the afflictions that they had. Right. Now. We don't know for sure whether or not, right, th- that the source of that thing was genetic in that individual. But it's making the point that, right, it very well might be true, right, that certain things that we associate with a problem are only problems because we've made them a problem, right? Sure. I think a very, very personal example, right, and something that I, is very, very personal and relevant to my experience as a scientist and a person in America is, if you told me a mutation in Homo sapiens that would be profoundly influenced with lifespan and where you lived and how you lived, really, in, well, even today, but by law until right half a century ago, it would be for black skin, mm-hmm. right? Right. Mm-hmm. And so, in a situation, right, where you're like, well, oh, I want to kind of engineer a child who has a better ch- set of chances in life, well, right. <laughs> It's very, very obvious, right. right, that the decision in that situation would be to engineer a child without black or the phenotypic features of being a black person in America, right? Sure. But as we've observed, that had like the that phenotype, that's entirely a human decision that we've made right. to treat right. certain people certain ways. And so if we're not careful and thoughtful about the things that we want to change about ourselves, and cause some of these things are entirely um, are entirely about kind of uh, the way society is engineered. And I think this is the real problem with CRISPR, right? It's not like taking Tylenol, right? So when you take Tylenol because you have a, you know, you bang your knee or something like that. You take Tylenol, the pain goes away, and then the Tylenol vanishes from the bloodstream and, right, it never affects you again. When right. you change the genome of something, you have changed <laughs> right. future generations. Right. It's not, right? And so you've kind of taken away the ability of human beings to be able to decide whether or not this thing is actually, you, you know, uh, good or bad because, by virtue of the fact that society changes. Right. So, yeah. and, and I mean, let's, you know, again, let's let's talk about, uh, again, let's say you have the, oppor- uh, quote unquote, opportunity to, to gen- genetically modify an embryo so that it comes out less black or, or, or it doesn't deal with those superficial things that we have used as instruments to just wreck uh, the African-American race for, for 400 years. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's, that's you. Part of you goes, I could see why that's an advantage. And then part of you goes, but what about the things that we lose when that child doesn't get to have Correct. that experience right, right. or what could they not contribute to culture? And then the third question is all we do as humans is look for the easy fix and and maybe that's not the fix that that this situation needs. Maybe we could take a step back and go, are there other ways to address this problem so that right. this child doesn't have to experience this, but also gets to keep and inherit this incredible culture that he, he, he is going to come into or he or she is going to come into? Does it have to be uh, snipping out this part of his, his genome and his, in his skin color? We never get to the root of the problem. It's never the root of the problem that we solve. It's always, how do we just fix it now? Right, right. How do we just make them look different? Look, everything is all better and they don't have to do that. It's like, no, right. well, why don't we just treat them better? How about we fucking yeah. start with that? And you go, it, it applies to, you know, let's look at autism. I mean, look, I, I, yep. I'm not afraid to say, uh, you know, two of my kids are test tube babies and, and they had to be. And uh, so that's why I can speak about fertility and mosaics and all that shit all day mm-hmm. long. I basically got like a PhD in that shit. <laughs> 
And, mm-hmm. you know, you look at it and you go, oh, these are the the, the genomic things that came up. And we had uh, hundreds of bad embryos, quote unquote, bad ones uh, that came up for different things where it didn't have an answer, which is almost just as bad because you find out later. And one of the things, obviously, you look for autism, but then you look at some of the ways progressive and innovative people have looked and go, wait a minute, this autistic person might not fit into society in this way, but look at this specific almost superpower they have in other ways that can contribute yep. to my cause or my mission or my company, whatever it might be. And again, you have to ask a question of like, what do we lose when we do that? I mean, I couldn't have said it better. I mean, so on the artistic side and in, in, in particular, I mean, that's a fascinating phenotype that is a great example of how conversations about, right, so the neuro, the neurodiversity movement is kind of one of the things where, and that's, that's, that's transforming the way schools are structured and the way we're educating people in that my, brains are different and minds are different. And just because, right, somebody's a little bit kind of different, whatever the heck that even means, mm-hmm. right, doesn't mean that they're, that they're suffering from an affliction. And I think sure. the autism community has done a really nice job of that. I think in the, you know, in the context of things like race and in terms of like things that part of the problem in terms of us thinking there's a quick fix <laughs> goes back to why you asked me why I'm vital to the species or whatever you asked me, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> I think it's because it's because a lot of the people who are doing the CRISPR don't think about society and they don't read that literature and they're not thinking carefully about these things. And I think, that, right, so like, right. you know, interdisciplinarity or, what you know, there's a lot of phrases for that now are essential. So take me, for example, like, I mean, the reason that I'm a scientist now, unquestionably, even if you're talking about biological inheritance is because of my mother, right? My mother w- would have been a scientist if she was born with more opportunities. No mm-hmm. question about it. Mm-hmm. No issue, right? The reason, right, the reason that she was not is she experienced the tail end of Jim Crow, right? Sure. So, so it's one of those things where because I understand the experience of how a phenotype, right, right. that right, can be arbitrarily, right, I now enter these conversations like, you know what, maybe y'all need to think about why you want to <laughs> edit that thing, right. right? Because I know somebody who was genetically, I mean, she was a math teacher, which was about as high as you could go for that demographic. You know, right. I mean, black and, people have been experiencing Gattaca for yeah, 400 fucking years. For four, yeah, right? right. You know, exactly. You know, and so you got to be and And I think Gattaca is funny, man. I was on Twitter the other day and it's been over 20. I mean, that film changed my life. And I, I mean, it was a I was on Twitter and somebody was talking about how and I, and it, I didn't I mean, I think it's inaccurate. And I was like, whoa, you, you missed the point. Gee, like it, the, the movie's not about <laughs> genetics. Right. It's about right. How right. We like you said, we look for these shortcut and easy fixes for society and, and we think that we have more control over fate than we tend to and, and yeah i think that's where we i think that's where we're headed if we don't get our act together are there ethical questions that we have mostly agreed on uh, and and then sadly uh, uh ones that were maybe too late on for the most part yeah for the most part i mean i think you know i think I think like the, 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 there are very strict FDA regulations on. Um, and so number one, there was like a ban on right on and on human embryos, like pretty right. much right away, which was good. Um, and I think there are very very strict kind of limitations about. I mean, there's some kind of legal baseball about gene editing versus gene modification, and some things involves adding things, and something involves removing things. So one thing is little. I mean, so we're sorting out kind of what the difference between that is because people are less afraid of 
deleting things and adding things, even though it oh, really, really doesn't really matter. Yeah, yeah, rules. They, yeah. There's some rules. Scoring, huh. So a lot of this is still being sorted out. But but my point is the conversations are being had, and right. I think that's a good thing. I think you know, frankly, I think the the situation with the you know the CRISPR baby, which we'll call this child for lack of a better. Mm-hmm. Uh, way to describe this individual, right? Well, I mean, it's how they're going to be known for their entire life yeah, right, at this point, yeah, right? Because yeah, they're literally yeah. the first person in history yep. we've ever... Yep. No, they're going to be, you know, scrutinized. If it's true, aren't, aren't there? Isn't there, like, didn't he, like, not even provide, like, evidence? Isn't it, like... No, there's no evidence. Right. There's, no, he didn't, didn't publish the results. It's kind right, of fascinating right, right. because, you so know, wild. this individual was trained with the best people in the world. Um, So it's like people are confident that he did it. Right, right. It's just that nobody, nobody, there's there's been no, uh, it hasn't been verified. Very, very strange. So, you know, so I I think part of the issue is that the same standards that are held here and in the UK aren't held everywhere else, right? Right, right. Um, So it's kind of universalizing, right, the ethics, I think, is the challenge. I think in the UK and in in the US, I think the conversations have been pretty good about regulating um, human activity. Or, or you know, outright banning it, mm-hmm. um, and even in crops, I think you know there's a there's a there's there are regulations on transparency um, that are good. I think what's not being, I, I think, I think so. So I feel good about that. Mm-hmm. I think the problems that are, are, that we still have are the greater problems that we discuss regarding kind of what what are the things that we deem as disease, like right. kind of like the autism example, and what are the ones that we don't. I think that's a conversation that uh, needs to be had within the clinical community and the psychological community and in the, in the sense, in the educational community in the sense of autism. And I think those are ones that we're going to continue to have to have at a very, very detailed level. And we are having. And they're so complicated, but I, I'm glad we are, you know, because as much as we say like, oh, uh, you know, the handicapped, again, the, the blind or the deaf community might say, wait a minute, don't wipe out this culture we've built. There might be, uh, there, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there are people who go, yeah, I don't want to fucking be deaf. I'd rather live a, a, a right. more standardized full life. And uh, of course, then you go further down the waterfall. Of, oh, but that person's 14 and they're now legally about to d- make decisions for themselves, but their parents want them to not be deaf or back and forth. But a- as long as it seems like we're pushing these conversations, even if it's so hard to establish standards all the way down the grain, the, the conversations are what are vital. So I actually do, I, I want to move into sort of what I feel like we we do best, which is, so Brandon, as citizens who are either bystanders or could maybe quote unquote benefit from said science, what are questions you feel like now we should be asking of our representatives around this stuff? Yeah, so I think there's, you know, I think I call citizens citizen scientists because we're all we're all yes, involved in this, it. even when we're not in the lab. You know, I think you should ask, uh, and we should ask. There's some scientific things we can ask, and mm-hmm. then there are like policy things that we can ask. So, mm-hmm. from the scientific perspective, this is the thing that I study. Right, fundamentally is. How do we like this this concept of epistasis, which I talked about? It's yeah. how do we know that when we put a mutation in a given organism that it is doing the same thing in genetic background A versus genetic background B? And the flat question is: when you see CRISPR for a great brand of beer, you know, for a, a, you know, this was brewed with GM, you don't have to get horrified by it. Mm-hmm. But a reasonable question is: well, what are the strains right of yeast that this CRISPR experiment were carried out in, right? Mm-hmm. Like, right, how, you know, or, or or was it tested in one, verified one, and then kind of just 
thrown into a bunch of different strains without testing them, right? Right. So you, you want to make sure that the thing that we're consuming, right, has specifically been tested. I think, right, it, it, across the different possible genetic backgrounds. Sure. So that's like a practical question. It's like, you know, right. and I think related to that is, right, one of the big, other, other big things in, in, in modern genomics that kind of complicates the study of human genomes and who we are is the effect of the environment, okay? So if you test kind of an effect, you have a, you have a mutation that's associated with really delicious beer, but only when it's, I don't know anything about brewing beer, but if you, if you only, <laughs> do either of you, whatever, I'm going to say something stupid, like if you brew it at room temperature or something like that, but room, right, at room, you know, but it's, but in certain places you can't get it to room temperature right, and you right. heat it up, you get a completely different effect. That mutation that's associated with the yeast being able to do something is completely different mm-hmm. in a different setting or when you add a different ingredient or something of that nature, right, that could completely change the flavor of the beer. So right. my point is, and I use that kind of, you know, trivial example for a reason, but because fundamentally the questions are the same for that as they are for the... CRISPR baby, they are, all right, this mutation that we think is useful to humans or life or livestock for this reason, what environments did you check, test this mutation in? Did sure. you test it across muta- uh, temperatures? Did you test it across a bunch of different, um, I don't know, like in bacteria, it's like pH of the solution matters quite a bit. Did you test it in uh, a bunch of different um, culture conditions, whatever. So the point Mm -hmm. is you want to make sure that anything being consumed or being offered to society via the CRISPR method, that it was tested in a lot of different, we can just call them contexts. Did we test this CRISPR thing across a bunch of different contexts? Mm -hmm. Because this tomato that grows beautifully in the lab in this setting, what happens when I grow it in another setting, right? That I think so. So I think that's a practical question that citizen scientists uh, can ask uh, of their science, and I think anybody in this industry should be able to a- answer that. Like, and you know, a, and you it's should, important you know, too because it, it seems silly to ask those to say like, well, "Oh, but did you yeah. did you do it in a it uh, like did you duh. try it in a room next door where it's five degrees warmer?" Right, and right. that might seem silly to some people, but it's like this is shit we've known about. <laughs> quote unquote, I mean, this is so fucking lazy, regularly grown plants for, for, for thousands of years since agriculture. Right. And we're trying to start from scratch with some of these things because, because you're making, if you're making germline edits to a plant, uh, you're inherently changing the functions that have, that have evolved into it for, for thousands and thousands of years. So we do have to ask those. And then uh, to, to me, I would again, just come, come back to when they say no, or they say, yes, it it's why or why not? Why didn't you test that there? Was it because of speed? Was it because of money? Uh, was it because you don't think it's necessary or relevant? Um, because that is actually, to me, gets to the heart of of these things a little bit more. Yep. And I think, you know, I think the good news is, and the bad news, but when I look at it, is that in terms of what to ask, there is a blueprint in place, and you'll see why I say good and bad news. There is a blueprint in place from the pharmaceutical industry, <laughs> right? Um, right, and, and you're, meaning meaning a lot of the questions are actually rather similar, right? So you, when you have a kind of new drug on the market, right, the question is who did you test this in? Sure. Yeah. What was the structure of the population? And as you know, right, things are pulled off the shelf all the time right. because the range. <laughs> of people that it was tested in was narrow mm-hmm. and they did, or they didn't test it for long enough and the long-term effects of this thing were negative. Mm-hmm. Right. So my point is there's a blueprint in place for how to ask that of, um, 
of of kind of GM technology writ large. So that's that. I think but there's another there's a blueprint, right? It's good that that's right. somewhere, somewhere again, for for better or worse, like you said, the good and bad. There's an exhaustive list, which almost it can't be exhaustive enough. Of did you test this everywhere? I think my, that's right. my I remember my uncle was one of the first guys to have uh uh to have way back one of the first guys to have LASIK, and at the time he was mm-hmm. doing stupid white people shit. He was climbing a bunch of mountains, and I remember they were like, "Hey." Could you go climb up to like fifteen thousand feet? Because we need to see if your eyeballs fucking explode. Oh my god! And he was like, "Well, we do have to find that out, so I might as well be that guy." <laughs> right. And it was in right. some fucking like climbing magazine or something, and like <laughs> it was just another box that they did need to check, even as much as it's like a niche thing. What this niche still, thing could apply to a lot of fucking people. I don't you know? get how these things are not happening, and yet these all these procedures or drugs or whatever go out anyway, and then have to get yeah, pulled I mean, because then you find out, oh fuck. Look, I mean, I might, you know, I might act like I'm well-rounded and well-read, but I'm a geneticist. I'm an evolutionary genetic. I study gene, you know, so I'm on their side, ultimately. Right, right. So <laughs> my, my point is, but I say that for a particular reason. The thing keeping my lights on and the reason why I got good wine in my cupboard is because I can tell you that mutations, the effects of mutations change in different environments. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that I'm studying right now. So my point is, anybody, nobody should tell you that's a stupid question. Right. Because it's not right. a stupid question. I, I got data to show that. Right. And I think a lot of people have data to show that. So they lying. Like, I'm, I, I hate to snitch on my people, but like, nah, like you, you should be able to test these things across ranges. That's a reasonable and fair question to ask of the science. Well, and I think um, that's probably some of the fear that people have with like GMO foods and stuff like this is, and, and why we're so quickly to say like, we need regulation. We need a label on it. Uh, and, and, and by the way, a lot of times, most of the time, some, some regulation is great. Uh, but I think it's easy for people to go like, Monsanto didn't test this. They don't know what this does, this and this. And by the way, sometimes they might not have fucking done that. Right. But yeah. I get that. I get that. I mean, the thing is, and I'm, you know, I'm not anti-GM crop at all. Like, I think this right. thing has, a, a, and like, a, number one, I think a lot of the fear of genetically modified crops in particular is based on an old antiquated idea of, um, you call it the, you know, the naturalist fallacy. Things sure. that are in nature better, right? right and right. that ain't true, right? That ain't true at all. Nature comes up with all kinds of <laughs> screwed up, bad Right, yeah. awful things, and so so it's not bad simply because we engineered it, and I think that's that's why people hate it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, so but at the same time, I do empathize, like you just outlined, with the notion that you know, I you know, we should we we should be able to answer the question of whether or not something was tested across environments. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to ask you to use your wildest imagination here. <laughs> Imagine, Brandon, that me, I am a young scientist. And I actually want to get into this work. Uh, what, what, where do I start? What do I do? And how, how do I have the most impact? Great question. And so how, how, well, how, how, what stage are you? If, 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 I'm, if I might ask, like let's, say, how old uh, are you? let's say high school. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, perfect, these young perfect. people that are out there are going to change a fucking world. I mean, I'm, I'm basically anybody over 45 we're done with, right? Uh, they've, they've had their <laughs> Pretty chance. Much. They ruined the world. <laughs> Pretty much. Right. Yeah. So, so great yeah. question. Yeah, great question. It's, it's a great question because, you know, I, you know, education, educating the public is a big part of who I am as an academic. And I think about this carefully. So, and, and this is also interesting because this has changed during my academic life. So what I would say is pay particular close attention in math class. Yeah. And, and, right, and because biology as a whole has gotten a lot more quantitative in the last, you know, 15 years or so. And I think this is people who study math and computer science are really the ones in many ways who are kind of 
running these fields, even fields like CRISPR in many ways. I mean, CRISPR was a very, very laboratory and empirical, uh, you know, discovery. Mm-hmm. But I think like the field of like bioinformatics and, and things of that nature, um, they're the ones, right? Who, who, or maybe, maybe even we're the ones. You know, I, I'm, I'm kind of of that ilk. You're I, a computational I I guy, right? I'm a computational guy, so I think I pivoted at the right point. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, um, so to speak. So number one, I would get really, really adept quantitatively, so that you understand things like statistics, you understand computer science, you understand that. In addition to that, right? You should pay close attention in English class. You should pay, you should, the, the, the recommendation is, you know, kind of lame in the sense of, I don't, listen, I was a lousy high school student, so I don't care. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying get A's in all your classes, mm-hmm. but what I will say is make sure you're reading broadly, right? And mm-hmm. understand kind of what U.S. history was and world history was so that when you enter these conversations, you can bring something else to it, right? Mm-hmm. And I think these are the this is this is really the problem is that this underappreciation for how arbitrary things about the way we've structured society, we we conflate that with uh, with solutions that could be provided by things like CRISPR. So that's what I would tell a young person. I love that, and it it, it is incredible. And I I imagine the computational side is, is only going to just keep exploding over the yeah, next yeah. Uh, five, ten, twenty years. Uh, look at what groups like, uh, you know, the Flatiron group like Jim Simons is doing in New York and mm-hmm. stuff like that. It's just, it's it's wild and, and hopefully for the better. But yeah, as a liberal arts major, I couldn't agree more. And again, come back to the Silicon Valley thing. We have to have people mm-hmm. who not just ask these questions, but know how to ask the right questions and has say, stop, we should think about this. Why are we doing this? Why or why not? Um, and if you can bring both of those things to the fold, uh, you know, that that'll be even more impressive and we will be thankful for you. This is so great. I wish that I gave a shit when I was in high school. Oh, I, I was worse. <laughs> Would have been just incredible. A monster. Ugh. Brandon, we have, we've only uh, had you for almost an hour here. Thank you so much for being here, man. Um, uh, we're going to, you know, good. wrap it up, ask some more questions and stuff, but we really appreciate it. All right. uh, this is what we call the lightning round, Brandon. Yep. 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 <laughs> All right. We've got um, some questions for you. Uh, get ready. Yeah. Hey, uh, so Brandon, uh, when was the first time in your life when you realized you had the power of change or the power to do something meaningful? Uh, it was probably my uh, my freshman year of college, and it, not ironically, I mean, not un, not unironically, the same year I saw. I think that's the same year I saw Gattaca. Mm-hmm. So I think that was nice. the year. Well, number one, I that's that's the, that's the first time I started really doing well in school. I mean, I knew I liked. I, I, I school was easy for me through high school, mm-hmm. but I think that's kind of I had an identity kind of thing, an awakening, and I learned that wow, I'm actually really good at this stuff, and people appreciate me for it, and wow, these concepts connect to real problems in the world. And I think it's funny. I think, I think, you know, yeah, yeah I think Time Magazine had, uh, you know, awarded a man of the year to an AIDS researcher. And I think that was a, another kind of moment. So I think it was in that mm-hmm. window of time. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. It's, it's amazing when and how things impact you. Wow. Who is someone in your life that's positively impacted your work in the past six months? Oh boy. Um, I mean, you know, I, I'm a I'm a I'm a collaborator uh supreme. Uh I think there's a there's a scholar, there's a scholar, um actually, you know, he I believe he was on this show. So um uh Dr. Sam Scarpino. Oh yeah. Uh yeah, Dr. Scarpino uh has been has been really, really great for me. I think our, our work overlaps in some ways, and I think, you know, we he's kind of taught me kind of new ways to think about some of the problems that I work on. And I, you know, hopefully I've taught him a few things. But I think kind of having cross-pollination with somebody relatively nearby 
um, whose work I, I respect and admire, I think has been, you know, it's been really, really important for me to being able to grow uh, as a scientist. I love that. And, and even if you're working on slightly different things, it, it is amazing what can come from that sort of uh, relative interdisciplinary approach, or at least environment, you know? There, I feel like history is littered with, uh, with, with those type of interactions. So uh, what do you do when you feel overwhelmed by everything specifically? Things have been a little chaotic. <laughs> so, you, so you mean all the time. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> What's your day-to-day? You know, you know, I, I love, I, I love uh, consuming. I mean, this is going to sound lame, but it's true. Is I love consuming creative and dope ideas in different realms. Like I love, I love music. I love hip hop. I love film. And I like, I like to see kind of human creativity on display, uh, which is why I have such a deep connection to kind of to sci-fi. So all the stuff you're talking about with Star Wars and I got very strong opinions on all that. I mean, <laughs> I, mean I, I, I agree with you, but you know, with everything, you know, we, yeah, yeah. you know, but my point is, you know, I think, I think I love the human capacity to create. And so how, whenever, whenever somebody's doing something interesting and cool, even if it's not something that I know about or I, I dig necessarily, you know, I, I want to at least experience it. So that that's that kind of keeps me hopeful about what, where we are as a species. I love it, man. Anything you you've really dug lately? Yeah, I was just gonna ask. Yeah, I mean, uh, you mean just in general, like in general, just, like just, well, just general yeah, things. Yeah, so I mean, I, I think I've been impressed with um, you know, I saw a bunch of good films recently. I mean, you know, I was just, you know, I saw a bunch of good films. So I've been enjoying films. So I've, I've been so recently. I just saw, you know, I saw. Uh, did, you, did you see the new? Actually, did you see the new Spider-Man movie? Oh yeah. Did you guys see that? <laughs> so sad. Is it so great? I really oh my see it. gosh, it's 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 beautiful. And I think so. That's a good example. I'm glad you actually. I actually I didn't think about this. So that's a good example. So that film was had such a big impact on me that it got me thinking. And in, in, so apparently, like the animator community is way bigger and richer and more wonderful. And I don't draw shit, man. I don't do any of that. I don't, <laughs> I don't, you know, I, you know, but like there's this whole wonderful, diverse world of like animators mm-hmm. and they got their own culture and they like, you know, and so I don't, I'm not on social media all that much, but like, you know, I've started following a few of them and just every day they post new little interesting things. And I'm like, wow, like here's this thing <laughs> that I've kind of, you know, I've seen all these Pixar films and I like them. They're, they've obviously been tremendously successful in these other animated films, but I've just taken it for granted. Sure. You know, it's just, it's a type of genius. I was like, well, I had no idea. So frankly, you know, I'm looking for ways to kind of work that into my now, there's this one uh, drawer artist uh, who drew his drawing sketches of my lab members for me, and I'm trying to work this into kind of what I do as a scientist somehow. I, I don't cool. know yet, but, oh, that's but, but that's an that's an example of like me being inspired by something and right. me following up on it, and me trying to kind of work it into the things that I do. Yeah, there's a hell of a lot to take away from that movie. From 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 Shh. yeah, from the art to the the sci-fi side of it to the superhero yep. stuff. It's it's don't yep. spoil anything. All right, nah, man, go go see it right after this. Like, yeah. go. <laughs> I actually already googled Showtime. So yeah, <laughs> uh, Brandon, how do you consume the news? Uh, you know, I, you know, I sit down and you know, I, you know, I read the New York Times like a lot of people in my demographic. Um, you know, they've had some issues recently, but, you know, I think everybody has. And uh, so I, I try to, you know, I, I I haven't been great about consuming, you know, 10 and 15 different news sources. Yeah. You know, I have friends who like, you know, some of the some of the news is it's just so 
it, it, it affects me so deeply and so personally that I can't, I can't bring myself to, I'm not even going to say it. I can't even listen. I can't, there's some stations I just can't turn on because yeah, it's yeah. going to ruin my day. Right. You know, so I think I think it's a balance between I think the the argument for consuming that poisonous stuff is that you, it's important to know what the world what the what the world really thinks, right? Of course, of course. Um, mm-hmm. which which I get, but I think not if it ruins my day and it prevents me from being able to do the things that I have to do. So in some ways, I'm still sorting that out. I I think. I try to stick to kind of publications and institutions that I've, that have built my trust over the years. And I try to remain critical of them as well. Nice. I love that, man. All right. If you could Amazon prime one book to Donald Trump, what would it be? (laughs) Um, we have had uh, a full full line of uh, wide variety of shit. What a range. We're going to include it in our Amazon book club. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, so it's tricky, right? Because it's like, um, I mean, is, is he going to read it? We're assuming that that he uh, <laughs> that he will read it, or that somebody will read it to him. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> fair enough. I think there's a great book um, about you know to, to give a perspective that you know about how uh, you know I try to read broadly. You know, I'm interested in mass incarceration the way a lot of people are yeah. these days. It's one of the big kind of social justice issues of our time. And uh, there's a great book, um, you know, from the war on poverty, uh, from the war on poverty, the war on crime, the makings of uh, mass incarceration in America, you know, um, mm-hmm. and I think it's by uh, Elizabeth Hinton. And I think that book uh, really, really, I think what, what really struck me about that book is that it kind of outlined specifically like the very practical political decisions that were made that kind of led and created the policies that, you know, the, the modern mass incarceration. So it kind of examines a bunch of um, presidential, uh, you know, going back to Johnson and, and Nixon and, and it, it kind of, it's, it's, got, it's, it's humbling and kind of like, wow, to kind of read how these mm-hmm. decisions that a handful of people made really crafted, you know, our crime control policies today. I think, and I think it's one of those things where, as a kid, you know, I was a conspiracy theorist the way everybody is. <laughs> of course. You know, um, I was a conspiracy theorist the way anybody is. But it's one of those things where, wow, you don't really need far out conspiracy theories when yeah. you have books like that that just kind of articulate it in a very intelligent. So, yeah, uh, from the war on poverty to the war on crime. Um, yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah, that, that one in combo with uh, the new Jim Crow by Michelle. Alexander, yeah, those are the two. I mean, yeah, those are the defining. Those are the those are the defining ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I love it, man. I love it. That's a uh, that's a good one. Uh, so, uh, Brandon, last last question. Uh, if you want to use, obviously, you, you talk to incredible students every day. But uh, if you're going to use this podcast to speak to a little truth to power, or anything, last things you want to say, get out there in the world before we let you go. Oh, wow. Um, Truth to power. Um, Anything. Well, well, I mean, I think, um, how would I say this? I think that, I think just, and I'll speak this, this is from my scientist hat, so to speak. Mm -hmm. That is that we cannot, you know, we, we're a species just like everybody else (laughs) or, you know, unlike everybody else in some ways, but like everybody else in the sense of we're not kind of, there's just nothing guaranteeing our existence. And so I think we should kind of treat our time on this planet, right, as a very ten- tenuous and sensitive thing. And so, right, I-, I think, you know, act like act like we belong here, but act like we're not guaranteed to be here. And I think that's not like a, a sad thought. 
That should be an empowering thought. It should be like, you know, the things that I do actually matter. And this is why, like, you know, I, I think, you know, and I think, you know, studying, right, reading about, you know, from my culture, right, the African-American experience, you know, is, you know, this, there's a reason I, you know, I'm a big fan of things like hip hop is because it was, it was, and jazz and, and these kind of cultural, these cultural American inventions. It's because it was, you know, it's people who wanted to say something and found a way to say it. And I think, uh, you know, always kind of um, always be willing to do that, you know, no matter how kind of crazy or I, I think to keep the kids, the teenagers who invented hip hop had no idea they were going to create what they created and look what they created and hasn't always been good, but nothing ever is. The point is be creative and, and you know, and, and leave the world with some cool new ideas because you never know who's reading them. Um, and you never know what they're going to do. So that was it, a mouthful, but you no, know, no, 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 it's good, man. I love, I love it, man. I love it. It goes back to why you said you were, you were vital because you, you have the, you know, the courage to, to lead. That's and do it. new shit. Right. Yeah. Pretty Hope dope. So. Hey, uh, so we did, we obviously mentioned your pretty dope, uh, Twitter handle, big data came, but where, where can everybody follow you online besides that? Is that the place to be? Yeah, you can find the rest of my stuff there. I'm, I'm also on Instagram, which I don't use much yet, but I will start. But yeah, Twitter, big underscore data, underscore Kane, uh, K-A-N-E, as in, you know, like, mm -hmm. as in, you know. Um, and yeah, I, I think I have a website there. I have a, a Medium page, right? Medium.com sure. backslash OG Plexus. And that's OG Plexus is, you know, OG, the first two letters of my last name. And Plexus mm -hmm. is, I call, I call my research group a Plexus. And a Plexus is kind of an interconnected network of things. And so, you know, we, you know, that, that, I, don't, I don't run a lab. I run a Plexus. That's how I, I think about it. it. You know, so you can also find it there, which you can find on the Twitter page. Uh, all right. We will, we will put all of that uh, and everything else we mentioned today in the show notes. Brandon, man, we cannot thank you enough for your time today and, and all that you're doing out there, man, as a scientist and as a educator and communicator, all those things are, are equally vitally important, uh, in our eyes. So, uh, thank you, man. Thank you for what you're doing. I love what you're doing. I think I mean, this channel is this, I mean, what you're doing is an example of what I mean, you know, having the courage and to, to kind of ask the, the important questions and the diversity of people that you bring on here. I mean, this is how this is how we make change happen. So, you know, congratulations to two, for the two of you. And really, thank you for giving me this opportunity. For sure, man. Oh, At least we blast. could do. All right, thank Brandon, you. we'll talk to you soon, my man. Thank you. Uh, all right. Take all care, right. Jim. Take, Take it easy. Thanks to our incredible guest today. And thanks to all of you for tuning in. We hope this episode has made your commute or awesome workout or dishwashing or fucking dog walking late at night that much more pleasant. As a reminder, please subscribe to our free email newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. It is all the news most vital to our survival as a species. And you can follow us all over the internet. You can find us on Twitter at importantnotimp. Uh, just so weird. Also on Facebook and Instagram at Important Not Important, Pinterest and Tumblr, the same thing. So check us out, follow us, share us, like us, you know the deal. And please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to things like this. And if you're really fucking awesome, rate us on Apple Podcasts. Keep the lights on. Thanks. Please. <laughs> and you can find the show notes from today right in your little podcast player and at our website, importantnotimportant.com. Thanks to the very awesome Tim Blaine for our jamming music, to all of you for listening, and finally, most importantly, to our moms for making us. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. Thanks.